Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host, and I am excited to be with you today. Now, I've done the quote today, for those of you who listen often, a little different than I normally do. So the quote today is by Neil Gaiman, and it is, It was stranger, more poetic, at once beautiful, and in your face, futuristic and old. They seemed like messages from a future in which the air was harder to breathe, in which we were struggling to live in a world we had made. Now, normally I do the quote more conceptual about maybe the theme of where I think the show will go, but this quote is actually about the photographic memoir of our guest today. So our guest expert is Kimberly Butler, and she has photographed hundreds of celebrities and world leaders, including five U.S. presidents. Her credits include covers of New York Times bestsellers and gallery photo shoots for major broadcast networks. She was also a regular photography contributor to People Magazine for more than a decade. Butler has traveled extensively in the Middle East and the former Soviet Union as a photojournalist and documentary filmmaker. And for the past two decades, she has been the creative force behind the American Library Association's Celebrity Read Poster Series, which is exhibited nationwide in public schools and libraries to promote literacy. In 2018, she exhibited her continuing photographic series on banned books in New York City called Censored. And in 2019, she published her first book, The Art of Fear, a photographic memoir, and presented it at the National Arts Club in New York. And that is why she's here today. But she's got so much more. You can look on the show notes to find even more about Kimberly. Let's bring her on now. Hey, Kimberly, how's it going? Very well. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm very excited. Your work is phenomenal. It's very deep. And uh, I just loved the poetic quote about your work that Neil had mentioned. So I had to start with that. So let me just start with the art of fear. I know you've done a a tremendous amount of things, but that was what, why you were introduced to me, obviously from fear to fire is my podcast. So people, when they hear the word fear, right, they, they, bring people to me. So tell me a little bit more about it and, you know, the genesis of how it came to be. Well, uh, as a child, um, I was put into an orphanage when I was about six or seven years old. Mm -hmm. Um, My father had post-traumatic stress disorder from the war Mm -hmm. and my mother was self-medicating. So the priest that had known them and married them, you know, from when they were children, uh, put me in this local orphanage. And this is where I first encountered very, very deep fear and abandonment. Mm -hmm. And I lived with that for a very long time. And as I got older, and specifically after 9-11, I had bought gas masks for everybody in the family. So I had all these gas masks laying around. Mm -hmm. So I asked my daughter to start posing in them. And my daughter was also from an orphanage, but she came from Lithuania. And I started just uh, posing her in all these different locations. And a friend of mine turned around to me and said, you know, you're photographing your story. Mm. And up until that point, I hadn't realized I was doing that. And I looked at it and it was very shocking. Mm. 
because I was doing it subconsciously. So then I consciously took it over and I did the entire book relating to how I was hiding behind these masks and putting on different masks for different social situations, you know, being who you wanted me to be at that particular moment. Mm, That is incredibly powerful. Go ahead. Thank thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, in looking at the photos, they're, they're extraordinary and the consciousness of it, I speak a lot about making our beliefs and our fears conscious. And so it, it was, it's always it, very interesting for me when I hear people say, I was doing this and then I realized why and making it mm-hmm. conscious. So I just uh, am fascinated by that. Now, um, I wanted to just, you know, have you tell a little bit more about like what that felt like, because you, you speak about using fear energy. And I love that because I, you know, I'm all about the energy, right? Mm-hmm. So can you talk about what that, that does and how that ties in? Well, when I'm a, when I'm a young woman, when I'm already living on my own when I'm 16 mm-hmm. and in, in college by the time I'm, I'm 17. Um, so I had learned to take all that fear that would build up and I learned how to take that and put it into the direction that I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I was highly dyslexic, which we didn't know in that time. And in high school, I would have teachers call me stupid um, mm-hmm. because it was a very a selective form of dyslexia, which was only applied to really mathematical or um, like languages, you know, mm-hmm. where you go in and you know add little verb differentials and things like that. But I was in honor science and honor uh, English, and it didn't make sense, but they didn't look then. So um, it was very difficult for me. So I, I, when I got out of high school, I started to realize that when these chemicals would build up in my system, that I would take them and I would put them in the direction that I wanted to go. I would take all that energy and I would push it at where in my life that I wanted to go. And, and the perfect example I have that maybe makes sense is I, was, I went to my guidance counselor. I had hardly any average to think of. I had like a 70 average. And she says, well, do you want to go to college? And I said, absolutely, because I knew that I had to educate myself out of this hole that I was in. Mm-hmm. I was living alone since I was 16. And she said to me, well, you know, where would you like to go? And I was naming these schools. She said, they'll never take you. They won't take you. They won't take you. I said, okay, can we stop? Who will take me? And she says, well, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, <laughs> they'll take you. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll go there. So I said, maybe I'll be a lawyer. So I was two years there in an interdisciplinary program where I learned how to learn. So it was a, the best education I had. Wow. And I was walking down Ninth Avenue one day and I said, you know, you're never going to make a lawyer. You don't have the discipline. You can't read. You can't do that kind of a study level. Why don't you do what makes you happy? And then I said, what makes you happy? And I said, movies. I loved movies. And I said, you know what? Then transfer to NYU. Mm-hmm. And I had the grades. I had a perfect index. And they took me six days before the semester began. 
and that set me on the road. I fell in love with photography and I just applied that art of fear to going into a, 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 the arts, which is everybody will tell you, oh my God, don't do that. You'll never make money. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Do something practical, be a lawyer, be a doctor, uh, be all these things. But I never, it never entered my mind. I, in those days, I would cold call like Time Magazine. And a wonderful woman by the, Rose, the name Rose Kaiser would pick up the phone and I'd say, gee, I have a portfolio, can you look at it? And people would say, yes. And I'd go show them and they'd give me a job. <laughs> you make and, it sound so easy. <laughs> yeah, because it was, because they were so nice. Because yeah. I'd say, hi, you know, and the book, the, the, my portfolio wasn't that good, really. <laughs> but, but I was just so nice and sweet and, and humble. I was very, very humble. And because I was so humbled going into that building of time life at that, at that time in history was where all the great photographers were. And that was my dream. And I used to look at the building and talk to it. Now I'm going to get there and I'm going to conquer it and I'm going to be this. And I did it. And I would use all that energy created by all the insecurity, all those people that told me I was nothing, that I was out of an orphanage, that I would never amount to anything. I used all that energy to push it and push me to pick up that phone and push me to work harder than anybody else. Kimberly, I, I love this. So there's two different parts of this that I want to just accentuate. One is that you stopped and you chose what would make you happy. Yes. So for those of you out there who are in a place of transition or decision or, you know, confusion, stop and listen to yourself and choose what makes you happy. Because ultimately, even though, you know, it, it, it might seem pie in the sky, but when you're following your dreams, when you're following what brings you joy, you're much more likely to succeed. But I also love this focus that you had using fear instead of allowing fear to limit you, or keep you stuck. You used it, focused it, and it drove you. I think that's fantastic. Well, uh, yes. Well, my mother used to say when I was little, you know, do what makes you happy. And that resonated then mm-hmm. as I was older yeah. and making those decisions. And we I remember. said, she's right. Yes. I, I remembered. And um, there's no sense in living if you're going to live unhappy. And I, sa- I say to my children, I say to my younger friends, do what makes you happy. Don't think about the money. Because there's a lot of unhappy people that sit in a cubicle making a lot of money and they're miserable. Yeah. If you're happy, the money will come. And you can have those things, those material things that you want. You know, a jet ski, a nicer house, yeah. whatever you want. That, those will come. And you'll, but, but you'll love what you're doing. And you, you do it all day long. And there's nothing can replace the joy of loving to go to work. I'm with you. I love what I do. Um, You know, I I have another quote here from Neil that I just want to ask you about because you included him in the memoir. And the way that he describes it is that you produced several gallons of paint and had them on his hands in the paint. You, You took photographs of him making these marks and the photos of him just like watching his, the, his hands drip with the paint. And then he says, by the end of that shoot, I trusted her completely. And in some odd way, she trusted me. 
So can you tell me about that experience, about how, how that works in the, in the world of photography? Yeah, it's very interesting because a person is coming in who you don't know, who in his case, I had no idea who he was at that time, but he had a massive cult following. Mm -hmm. That's, wow, 15 years ago. And he's my muse now, I call him, because he looked at the gas mask photos and he said, you know, I think you're on to something there. Mm -hmm. And we've worked, I do all his photography, his personal photography, his headshots and things that he needs. And he's attained great status now with American Gods and um, Good Omens, both that are running on television and his novels and his children's books. Mm -hmm. And um, he just had an effect on me of pointing me in the right direction, like looking at my work and seeing what was right. And he arrived for the shoot and we just spent four hours talking in the kitchen and everybody else wondered what happened. They were yeah. out in the studio and we had disappeared. And, but we were just two of the same kind of souls. Yes. And we just connected and we just talked about everything and anything. And um, he's just a lovely guy that hasn't allowed fame to affect him. Mm. So I felt extraordinarily comfortable with him and he with I. And we have a, a delightful, very, very lovely. I just spent, well, last year I spent like two weeks in his house in Scotland. I took 10 of my friends. And um, he's just, yeah, he just trusted me that I was doing the right thing that I wouldn't make him look silly or ridiculous, mm -hmm. that he trusted what I was doing visually. Yes. That's what he meant at that moment, and I always do. And I treat everyone the same. I'm very gentle, I'm very kind, I'm very open, because by this time, when I meet Neil, I've become my most authentic self. Mm. You know I, what, dive in a little bit more to that, because that authenticity is, incredibly powerful. So tell me what you mean by that. You, you became your authentic self. Well, you know, I came out of the orphanage and um, in the orphanage, it was very difficult because you have all these different personalities that came from all different kinds of backgrounds that are abusive or neglectful or whatever, as mine was, dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And we're all going to the regular schools in our neighborhood where we're not accepted either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're always wearing these masks to avoid, you know, confrontation, being beat up, uh, you know, ignored, whatever, whatever you're trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the next 10 years, I'm, you know, just trying to find my way. Where's my tribe? You know, mm -hmm. who do I belong to? And, and what I finally realized is that I was my own tribe, mm. that I just needed to be myself. Yeah. And in the art of fear, you see this journey that I go on visually using my daughter, wearing the gas mask. And it's amazing because I go through all these things. I try to go home again. I finally go on a journey. I meet Neil in the woods, um, which is very fairy taleish mm -hmm. because lots of things happen in the woods. Yeah. And I start to realize that I'm good enough just to be me. And that starts to happen as I start to do my photography work. I start to get accolades for it. I start to come into my own. And all those ghosts of the past, the people that told me I'd never be anything, 
you know, I was just, you know, out of an orphanage, that my parents were dysfunctional, that I was nothing. I mean, this came from everybody, my teachers, my people at the orphanage, people that I knew. I mean, I just got it from everywhere that I was nothing. And, you know, you listen to those people. And then as I started to gain uh, popularity and fame uh, and look and inside myself and realize my worth. And I did a lot of studying of Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell for myself and for this book. I really came into my own and I realized I didn't need any masks, that I was good just by myself. Uh, that's so brilliant, Kimberly. I mean, you visual, like you made it into this visual powerhouse, but I think every single person who will be listening can understand that concept of wearing a mask. At yes. some point in their lives, they have had, I know that I have had to, I felt as if I had had to wear a mask to be, you know, good at this role or that role or the other role. And then there is this point in our lives where we, we have to take off the mask. You can't sustain that, right? And so that's yeah. that authenticity that you're talking about. Yes, you can't. And there's actually a photograph where I think it's your ego. Your ego is your damaged ego as trying to maintain that, that veneer, that mask. And there is a photograph where she actually, she actually bursts into flames and it's the burning away of the damaged ego. Mm. And that's when it happens, that she can then be herself, that she is good enough to just be Kim. Oh my gosh, I love that. And me with my whole firebrand, I've got to hunt that down. That's amazing. Yes, it's on Amazon. So you can okay. find it on Amazon, probably right next to yours. Here. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. You know, if you're comfortable, I'd like to ask you a little bit about using your daughter as the model. Yeah, you sure. You said that she, she had come from an orphanage as well? Yes, she was uh, eight years old. Actually, the age that I got, um, got out of the orphanage, she was also eight years old. Mm -hmm. And she was in an orphanage in Lithuania. Mm -hmm. And by the time uh, I was 40, and by the time I got to that age, I started thinking about whether I wanted to have children. I was in a long-term relationship, my husband, John. And I said, you know, I'd been all over the world. And I said, you know, there's so many kids that need homes. And, um, you know, l l let's go and adopt. And nobody wants the older kids. Everybody wants babies. So I adopted an older kid from Lithuania because I, I loved Russia. And uh, Lithuania was under the yoke of Russia at that time. Or just, you know, the wall had come down. So Lithuania was independent. And they had thousands of children that were just left on buses and trains and at stoops of just left in public squares. And, um, you know, I just applied and it was the roll of the dice. They just gave you whoever was available that day. Wow. It was kind of Wild West adopting. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yes, but I got a wonderful, wonderful, you know, she's a young woman now and a, and a fireball. She's terrific. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah, and it's very, very interesting seeing the pictures with her and, and the masks and 
what did she think? I mean, I know you can't speak for her, but has she told you how she felt about this, that whole experience? Oh, she, I, she, I drove her crazy. I, drove <laughs> her crazy. I, I had to beg. I go, Caitlin, what is it? <laughs> I go, oh, look at this. Sh the, the, this shot is amazing. Look at the background. And I'd have to beg for about 10, 15 minutes and to <laughs> shut me up. She'd do it. <laughs> That is outstanding. That yeah, is well, true. she was a teenager. That's, you know, like, it was so funny. It was great. It was great. But then I she just, became this big star, so she loved it. Yeah, know? she's okay with it now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's okay with it now. <laughs> That's fabulous. Now, I know that you're also working on something else right now with um, Julie Farron. Of yeah, with Julie Farron. From yeah, tell me Night. a little bit more about that. Um, I'm working on my full written memoir now mm -hmm. as told to Julie Farron and this goes back um, to the very very beginning of my life and it takes me through to the adoption of Caitlin so it's really my first memoir then it'll probably be another one following it because I've lived this incredible life yeah. um, because every time they would call I, I started my first really heavy job started when I went to Time, and then I was moving into ABC television, and then I became Barbara Walters' photographer. Oh, wow. A really funny, you know, tough, tough assignment was when the photo editor called me from ABC and said, you can say no and we'll totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, what is it? Barbara's interviewing Muammar Gaddafi. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> so, of course, the State Department says, okay, you can go, but if something goes wrong, we're not coming for you. Oh, my gosh, really? Mm. Yes. Wow. And we had to get shots for all sorts of diseases that didn't take effect until we were already back. Oh, my goodness. That was my favorite part. <laughs> um, so uh, the pictures, I, I think some of them might be on my site, but... Um, it was wild. It was a wild trip. Mm. And um, it, it just, you know, I, I wasn't the least bit afraid. Not, not in the least. It was exciting. It was amazing to watch Barbara just, you know, whirl and twirl this guy. <laughs> you know, she would tell jokes and have him laughing. But meanwhile, you know, this guy was a total, you know, <laughs> maniac. <laughs> he was a maniac. And I remember they had Coca-Cola in Arabic. And I couldn't believe that they had Coca-Cola. <laughs> and, you know, and Reagan had put a bomb through his living room. And... Uh, they had, it was now a, a monument with a big hand holding an American missile shell. Mm -hmm. And it was, a, it was a field trip for third graders and up. And, you know, I just remember thinking like how, how weird that is for yeah. little kids, you know? And since then I've done a, a lot of work in the Middle East and, and, and Russia, but mm -hmm. I, I love the Middle East. The, the Middle East, the people are wonderful and they, they, really an amazing culture or cultures because they're all different. Yes. You know what, in, in hearing you speak, Kimberly, it strikes me once again, as it, as it always does, you know, the people who are the, you know, just the absolute strongest people I know have been through 
very, very difficult times, right? And that's what gives them that strength. And, and I speak a lot about resilience and about how it's a little bit lacking in society today, right? The ability to be resilient and that some of the, the, the benefit of all of the terrible challenges that we're experiencing right now is that we're becoming more resilient. And so when I hear you and you're like, I wasn't afraid at all, it was exciting. I think that that stems from the strength that you gained from your upbringing. What do you think? Absolutely. And when my, my daughter, you know, says, you know, I, 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 I haven't got a job, I'm worried. What about the rent? I said, the entire world is in the same box. Yeah. Okay, we're all in the same box. Don't worry. We might have a little civil war in America, but that's okay because we need a little civil war in America. Yeah. You know, we need to shake things up. You know, I come from an ancestry that I found out that is an American, American revolutionary background, my grandfather's and uh, civil war grandfather's in the North, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the first butler came here in 1630. And I learned all this later in life. So I'm extraordinarily proud. And um, yes, it makes you tough. And if you don't, if you don't, I think there's two types of people, you know, and then many in, in between, of course. But I think you're either going to get strong from it or it's going to break you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had my moments as a child where I've just broken down and begged God for help. I mean, you know. There's been quite a few scenes between me and the Almighty. And uh, she always came through for me, you know. Seek and you shall find, you know. Just ask. And um, I've always asked and and prayed to the universe. And uh, it's worked out well for me. And and just keep moving on. And if, if you're having a rough time, you're having a bad day, get back in bed, get a quart of haagen and just let, let, that, let that fear of depression have its time, get Netflix going, yep. let it wash over you, and reboot the next day. Ah, uh, I love that. It's like that whole sit with it concept that when we, when we suppress the emotions, we don't allow them, they keep coming back, right? They keep coming back to haunt us until we allow them and we sit with them and we honor them, and then we can move forward, right? Yes, you know, it's not that I don't have my moments where the pain of my childhood come up mm-hmm. and uh, they show themselves because something in my daily life or an experience that I'm having now trigger mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I'm aware and I just go through it. I go down the rabbit hole, you know, which I just did my Allison Opioid Land series yes. about opioids. And um, that's on my site if people want to see it. And um, I just go through that, and um, I, I it has it has its 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 time limit. Yes. So feel it, live it, let it have its time, and then it'll be over. Put down the Hagen Dazs <laughs> <laughs> and go about your business. But you can't fight it. So feel it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You can't fight it. So feel it. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Thank you. So, um, you know, you mentioned this about your site. And so I am certain that you're going to inspire a lot of our listeners today and they're going to want to learn more about you. They're going to want to check out your memoirs. So can you please share with them? And we'll, we'll add it to the show notes as well. But for anyone listening right now, can you give them a little information about how to find you? 
Yes, please. Um, if you'd all uh, go to uh, www.kimberlybutler.com, mm -hmm. you can take a look at uh, my different books and where I've been and the different things that I've done. Alice in Opioid Land is my newest creation. It's Alice and she gets into opioids and what happens with the Red Queen, who is actually Big Pharma. Mm. And Bill Pullman is the White Rabbit, who is actually cocaine. So it's um, everyone's saying it's the best thing I've ever done. So I'm I'm very pleased. And if you could follow me on um, YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, you know, and subscribe to me on um, YouTube, that would be great. You know, all my social media. If you could sign up on there and follow me, that would be great because I'm trying to bring up my numbers. Yeah. That's outstanding, Kimberly. I'm sure that people are going to want to check it out. And uh, you know, so much good stuff happening. And be on the lookout for the next memoir and collaboration with Julie of uh, Julie Farron of People Magazine. Yes. So, Kimberly, I know you've already given us some incredible nuggets. But um, you know, as we close out the show, is there anything else that that you really want to leave people with? Well. You know, it's kind of cliche, but um, it, it, people attribute it to John F. Kennedy, but it was actually FDR who said, you know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Mm -hmm. And that monster can grow in you. And if you just take that energy from that fear that we're all feeling now with COVID and our jobs and our expenses and our every, we're, everybody's, you know, teetering, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And, and just put it in the direction of something that you can do. Mm -hmm. You know, do that hobby that you always wanted to do. This is the perfect time. If you're, you know, on, on unemployment, if you're waiting around, waiting to see what's going to happen, we just have to weather this storm. Yeah. And I think it's the unknown that has us all a little, you know, fearful and worried. But we're going to get through it. I had, I had my mother and my great aunts, they all lived through World War I with the flu and then World War II with the Nazis bombing them every night. Yes. So we've got it relatively easy. So put it in perspective and we'll get through this. Oh, I love it. What a powerful message to leave people with. Kimberly, you have been an inspiration. I do hope that people check out your work. It's incredibly powerful. And thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And you can write to me through my website. So anybody that wants to say hello or has a question, please write to me. Oh, that's outstanding. I'm sure people will want to take you up on that. Thank you, Kimberly. Have a beautiful day. 